0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. It's so ironic that the terrible, terrible day for Jesus is now what we call Good Friday. And it took his worst day to make a day that was the best for us ever. And what's interesting to me is that we've been celebrating Good Friday as a Christian faith for maybe... 1,600 years, give or take a little. The Christian faith has celebrated, commemorated, remembered uh, Good Friday. And uh, I'm hoping tonight that we'll see something. I'm hoping you'll see something. I'm hoping I'll see something, that we'll experience something that will make us think just slightly different. Maybe maybe the, the, the way that we think about Good Friday will be just slightly different. Maybe, maybe it will be just an elevated ho- holiday in just a little bit. You know that at the time that Jesus was here, that the Jewish officials hated him. Overall, most of the Jewish officials couldn't stand Jesus. Jesus was constantly questioning their teaching, and he was questioning their authority, is what he was really questioning. And he was getting all the attention. He was crazy popular. Jesus had more likes on social media than had ever been recorded before, and everybody liked Jesus. But the Jewish officials couldn't stand him, and they were actually looking. The Scriptures tell us that they were looking for an opportunity to get rid of him. They wanted him gone, and truth be told, they wanted him dead. And so they were looking for opportunities. Well, they didn't have to look much further. One night, Judas, and most of you know Judas Iscariot, you know that name. And Judas came to the Jewish officials and they said, hey, I'll do it. I'll turn him over to you. I'll be the one who betrays him. And they paid Judas and off he goes. And so now things continue and this is Passover time. Uh, in, in Israel. It's Passover time, and all Jews were celebrating Passover, and so this was what the conundrum for the Jewish officials is. They wanted to grab Jesus. They wanted to do away with Jesus, but because so many people were in Jerusalem, there could have been as many as two million people in Jerusalem, and they were all worried about riots. This guy's so popular. If we grab him now, we're going to have a riot on our hands, and so finally... Passover is coming. And and Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to have a Passover meal. And so they have their Passover meal. And we'll talk about this in just a little while when we get to the end. But all of a sudden the dinner conversation got really, really wonky. And uh, eventually Judas leaves. And now Jesus is agonizing because he knows what's coming. And Jesus is thinking to himself, he needs to be in prayer. He needs to be with the Father. And so he says, I, I want to go to the olive grove. I want to go to Gethsemane, and, and, and I just need to spend some time in prayer. And so they go there, and Jesus just wrestles in prayer, and he wrestles in prayer, and he wrestles in prayer. And finally he gets up, and he's ready to leave. And now Jesus is leaving, and he looks up, and there's Judas. And it's not just Judas by himself. He's got a whole mob. Judas has an entire mob. He's got Roman soldiers, and he's got Jewish officials. He's got a mob. And Jesus even says to them, you, you didn't get a mob. It's just me you didn't really need a mob. And so the mob takes him, and they go to Caiaphas house, and Caiaphas is the high priest. He's the top Jewish official. And so he's at Caiaphas place, and Caiaphas just starts to interrogate him, and he's interrogating him, and you can imagine Jesus has just got him stumped because he's silent. He's not saying anything. And finally, Pilate or, or uh, Caiaphas asks the Almighty question, right? He says, "The high priest asks him, "Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son?" Uh, of the blessed one. Is that who you are? And Jesus, buckle up, Jesus says, I am. Now, just so you know, and if you're not aware of this, when Jesus says, I am, people often say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's what just happened. Because when Jesus said, I am, all good Jews know that it was a reference to when God was speaking to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go and deliver the people and I want you to go to talk to Pharaoh and I want you to talk to my people and tell them that you've been sent there to deliver them. And Moses says, well, God, if I say who sent me, what do I say? Tell them that God has sent you. Well, if they say, what is God's name, what do I say? And God says to Moses, tell them that I am has sent you. And so as soon as Jesus said, I am, it was a claim to be God. That's what he was claiming. I'm God. And he says, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power, God's right hand, and coming on the clouds of heaven. And just so you know, this is is very interesting. They think that Jesus is on trial. And what Jesus just told them is, oh, you're on trial. That's what's really going on here. And so you can imagine when, when Jesus claims to be God, Caiaphas snaps and it says, then the high priest tore his clothing, it's a sign of of mourning, he tore his clothing to show his his horror and he said, why do we need other witnesses, like what, what else do you people need to see, you heard what he just said, you've all heard his blasphemy, he claimed to be God, what's your verdict? and guilty, they all yell guilty, and furthermore, he deserves to die. Well, deserves to die is a big statement, but here's the problem. The Jews don't have the power to sentence somebody to death. The Jews can't do that. crucifixion was of the Romans. The Jews don't have that kind of authority. That's a Roman thing. And so what do you think happens next? Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. Now the problem is, when they state their case, What are they possibly going to say that's an offense to Rome? Because Rome doesn't care. They don't care that he's claimed to be God. Rome doesn't care about that. So when they state their case, they say, this man has been leading your people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government. In other words, he's telling them to to evade their taxes, to give rid of taxes. He's telling them, don't pay your taxes. And by claiming he's the Messiah, Pilate doesn't care about that. But the fact is he's claiming to be a king because all good Romans know this, there's only one king and it's Caesar. And and so now, just so you know this, Pilate is is well aware of what they're doing. Pilate's, Pilate's aware that they're trying to get him to do their dirty work. Pilate wants Pilate it knows that they want him to kill Jesus so that they don't have to. And Pilate's aware of this. Now, now, just so you know this, Jesus is now a prisoner. And there's this custom that goes on every year during the Passover in Rome. And what they do is they, they, they release one of the prisoners. They always do that. They release any prisoner. And it says one of the prisoners of that time was a man named Barabbas. And Barabbas was a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. In other words, he's actually murdered someone, and he's causing these riots all over town. And so, Pilate is thinking, maybe, maybe they would say Barabbas. Maybe, maybe that's what they would say. That's the custom of the time. They can release any prisoner. So what does the crowd do? Well, the crowd goes to Pilate, and they ask him to release a prisoner, just, just like usual. That, that's the normal custom. They, they know that that's what's going to happen. And so... He says, well, would you like to me to release to you this, this king of the Jews? Would you like me to release Jesus? Is that what you'd like me to do? Maybe we just let him go. He knew that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. He gets it. They're trying to get him to do the dirty work. That, that's what's really going on. And then it says, but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Jesus. That's what the priests are stirring him up. And so Pilate asks him, well, what should I do then with this man you call the king of the Jews? Because they all yelled, release Barabbas, let Barabbas go, let Barabbas go. Well, then what do I do with this Jesus? And he says, the crowd shouts, crucify him. That's what they want. So as soon as that happens, the guards, they come in and they grab Jesus and they, and they haul him off. And they beat him, and they whip him. They flog him. In fact, the scripture says that they flogged him with a, with a whip that had lead tips. And, and they would dig into the skin, and they'd rip the flesh. And they have been, they've been beating Jesus, and they have been whipping Jesus. And, and, and they're, 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 he's, he's almost unhuman looking, right? And then it says the soldiers next, they, they took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters. It's called the Praetorium. And they call out the entire regiment for one guy who's beat almost beyond recognition already, you can imagine. And just FYI, this whole process is, is completely illegal. It's all happening during the nighttime. It's completely illegal. And then the scripture says that they dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and they put it on his head and they salute him and they taunt him, hail, king of the Jews. Jesus has already suffered significant physical pain. Now he's being taunted by the soldiers. And this is going to go on for a long time. This has gone on for a long time. And then the scripture uses this word when they were finally tired. Like it's been going on for a long time. They're mocking him and they're beating him and they're mocking him and they're beating him and they're whipping him and they're mocking him. This has gone on for a long time. And now they take him. And now it says they're going to crucify him. They're taking him away to be crucified, which means after everything he's already gone through, now they're taking him to be crucified. Now they'd have a cross on the ground and they'd actually lay him down on the cross and they'd stretch his arms out and they'd take a spike and they'd drive it probably through the wrist, they think. And these are are spikes that are probably eight inches long and they take a large hammer and as bad as that one was, they're going to do it again because they're going to roll him over and they're going to stretch out the other arm. They're going to spike that one and then they're going to spike his feet. They don't know. Did they spike one foot on top of the other and drive one stake? Or, or did, they, did they do both feet separate? But this has been going on for a while. And he's suffering horrifically. He's suffering great physical pain. And not only is he suffering great physical pain, but he's been mocked just un, 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 unending. It's just going on and on. And the crazy thing to me is it's not just the soldiers who are mocking Jesus. It's not just the soldiers who are mocking him. It says the people passing by. Just, just folks walking by, just folks on the street. Now they're shouting abuse, and they're shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. And then they continue, and they say, you said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. A lot of physical pain, whipping and beating, and he's been nailed to a cross. And the soldiers have mocked them, and people just walking by the streets mocking them. And you can imagine what's going through Jesus' head, except that we can't. We can't imagine what, what's going through Jesus' head because we can only imagine what we think would be going through our head. And here's what went through Jesus' head Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it just bizarre? Mocking taunting, physical pain, the cycle just keeps repeating. And Jesus' thoughts were always on them. Jesus' thoughts were always on the people. Jesus' thoughts have always been on us. Jesus' thoughts have only been on the sinners. That's what he was thinking about the whole time. Here's another one for you. Jesus wasn't crucified alone. On this day there happened to be three people being crucified. Two of them were legitimate criminals. They were legitimate. They 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 committed crimes. They were thieves they were robbers. And regardless of what we would think, they were deemed by the Roman government to, that, they, that they should be crucified. And so these guys are hanging on crosses next to Jesus. Only one of them wants in on the mocking. He wants in on the mocking. Here's a guy who's, who's also been nailed to a cross, and he wants in on the mocking. And he's mocking Jesus. But the other criminal, the other one, he protests. He says, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? He's speaking to the other criminal. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything. A lot of of texts say he's completely innocent. He's innocent. And then he turns to Jesus, and he speaks to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this, oh, I assure you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was always thinking of them. Jesus was only thinking of them. He never thought about himself through the pain, through the mocking, through the ridicule. Jesus was always thinking about them. Then the scripture goes on with the story and it says this. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone And suddenly, now here's the deal. I would say if you drifted off a little bit, if the story wasn't making much sense, I would just say this point, just just lean in for a second because you got to get this. This is Good Friday. This is the crux of Good Friday. This is the climax of Good Friday. This is why it's Good Friday. This is why it makes a difference to me. This is why it makes a difference to you. It says the light from the sun was gone and then suddenly, suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And sometimes I think it's a phrase that we just read by, and maybe we don't really catch it, maybe we didn't really get it, maybe we don't really understand it, maybe we don't know the historical significance. In the temple, in the middle of the temple, there's a place and it's called the Holy of Holies the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark was built by, we believe, by Moses most likely, and he had just received the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the rest of the Jewish law. He'd been up on Mount Sinai. And the tablets, he he ends up putting those in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was put in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And it's where the presence of God was believed to be. It signified the, the presence of God. And so this is in the Holy of Holies. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is what's known as the Mercy Seat. And once a year, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies. Only once a year. And no one else could ever go into the Holy of Holies. It was only the high priest. And he would go in there on the most sacred of all Jewish days. It was called Yom Kippur. And he would go in at Yom Kippur on behalf of the people, and he would take lamb's blood. It had to be a lamb with no blemish. And he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this was this was a remembrance of what had happened when moses came down from mount sinai and moses brought down the law and he and he reads it to the people he basically just reads it to the people and he says look this is what god is saying do you want to be god's people And the people had listened to the whole thing. And then in unison, they said, we do, we will, we will. And then Moses sprinkles the crowd. And I don't know how he would have done it, but he's just sprinkling the crowd with lamb's blood. They would have been lambs that were unblemished, no spots, no marks. And he sprinkles them on the people for the forgiveness of their sins. And so now once a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles blood on the mercy seat. That Holy of Holies is separated from the entire rest of the temple by... The curtain and the curtain is about four inches thick and it was 60 feet high so it went from floor all the way to the ceiling 60 feet and at that moment when Jesus was on the cross at that moment the curtain was torn it's torn it's split in Matthew's account in Matthew 27 it says this and this is very significant it says it was torn from top to bottom Now, if it was torn from the bottom, that means men could have done it. It means they could have taken a sharp knife and maybe tried to split the curtain and then a couple of them get on each side of this thick curtain and they just start yanking and they split it. But that wasn't the case. Matthew's account says it was split from top to bottom. The only one who could have split that curtain was God himself. That's significant. What it's saying is this, God interceded. God did this. It was God's desire to get rid of this curtain because the curtain separated the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, from sinful man. The Holy of Holies separated a holy God from you, from me. We were separated from God. There's a barrier between you and me and God. There's a barrier. And what happened when Christ hung on the cross is the curtain was torn. The barrier is broken. Now, by faith in Christ, there's no barrier between you and me And a holy God. There's no barrier between sinful mankind and the God of creation. There is no longer a barrier. That's the significance of Good Friday, is that the curtain was torn. God intervened on our behalf, on behalf of a sinful people. God stepped in and provided the lamb. And by the blood of the lamb, now, just like they were, we're saved. We have the opportunity to be forgiven for sins. So I want you to think about this, because I'm visual, And if you're visual, I'm hoping this speaks to you. But I think this is how we oftentimes think of it. This is the life of Christ. And then here comes Good Friday. And then with Good Friday, everything just started getting terrible. Jesus is arrested and he goes to Caiaphas. And Jesus is now taken to Pilate. And Jesus is beaten and Jesus is mocked. And Jesus is ridiculed and, and Jesus is nailed to a cross. And everything's terrible. And we know Sunday's coming. We know Easter's coming. We know that. And so then we think everything got good, and we think that this is often the resurrection. Now, this isn't heresy, so I don't want anybody to lose their marbles over this. But I wonder if we don't need to think of Good Friday different. Like, maybe this whole thing started on Good Friday, because maybe this is when the curtain was torn. Because now we have access to a holy God. We never had that before. And apart from the death on the cross and apart from his, his, his crucifixion, we don't have that. We now have access to a holy God. We never had that before. And so now to commemorate that, we have a tradition in the church and we're all gonna take communion together tonight. You should've gotten a cup when you walked in. But I want you to see what was going on here. See, if you go back to the very beginning of this story, remember we said Jesus was gonna have a Passover meal with his disciples. That's what the, first, the last supper was, the first time communion was ever taken, what we would say the first communion. It was a Passover meal. Remember this, Passover was a celebration. The Jews had been in bondage to Egypt in bondage to, to slavery for 400 years. It was bondage, that's, that's what they were in. And God caused a series of plagues to come to Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn. And so what God told the Jews was this, if you take a lamb and the lamb has no blemish and you smear the blood over the doorpost, that night, your firstborn won't die. Instead, the angel of death will pass over your home. And so every year, at Passover, they celebrate that. They commemorate it. They remember it. And so Jesus is about to do that with his disciples. It's Passover. They're going to have a Passover meal. And so Jesus is, is telling them, I want you guys to go and get a room for me. And they say, Rabbi, teacher, where where we get this room? And Jesus says, this, I want you to go into the village. And I want you to look for this particular guy. When you see this guy, when you see him, then you simply say to this guy, the teacher, Jesus, the teacher says, my time has come. Just stop a minute. Do you understand this? He's telling them this on the eve. He knows. He's God. He knows exactly what's coming. He's known since before he started his ministry for three years. He knew this when he was six years old. I don't know exactly how this works, but he knew this when he was an infant. Jesus has known this from eternity past, and he still chose to come. And so he's telling the disciples, my time has come. I'll eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. That's what they're supposed to say to this guy. And so they do that. And now Jesus comes and they're sharing a Passover meal. And this is where the conversation gets really awkward because Jesus picks up a bowl at the Passover meal and he says, the one who has dipped their bread in this bowl is gonna betray me. Well, everybody's, eat, everybody's dipped bread in that bowl and they all start looking at each other and, and, and they're looking, wondering who's it gonna be. And they're all saying to Jesus, Rabbi, is it me? Rabbi, is it me? Teachers, is it me? Am I the one? Everybody's been asking that. Well, finally, the obvious, Judas speaks up and he says, Jesus, uh, he says, the one who, who would betray me also asked, that's Judas, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you've said it. It is going to be you. Well, we think Judas got up and left. Obviously, it's, it's an awkward dinner conversation. He gets up and he leaves. And now it says this, that as they were eating, now Jesus took some bread. This would be a Passover meal. And he blesses it. And I, I say this all the time, but I love to think of this. He's holding this piece of bread, this loaf of bread. And it says he broke it in pieces. And I imagine he's a carpenter, man. He, he's got these big, strong hands. And he just, just like this and he breaks the bread and it's a word picture it's a demonstration and he says he broke into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying take this and eat it for this this is my body like he's he's telling them the future he's telling them what's going to happen they don't get it they don't get it they're used to having a Passover meal and they're like this is your body what's he saying what do you mean this is your body it's a Passover meal they still didn't get it and then he took a cup of wine, and during the Passover meal, there are four cups of wine in a Passover meal. So this would have been happening throughout the meal, but it says he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. And again, they're thinking, Jesus, this is your blood. What what is he saying? This is in your blood. This is a glass of wine. What What is he talking about? and he's making another word picture he said this is my blood which confirms the covenant the other gospels say it's a new covenant remember the old covenant the old covenant was this he sprinkled them all with blood they said yes we'll be obedient we'll be your people that was their old covenant this is a new covenant this is a totally different covenant The, 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 the history is changed in this moment that the relationship between man and God would never be the same God will never relate to man in the same way we're the beneficiaries of that He says, my blood confirms the new covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice. In in, in the Hebrew culture, there's a a drink offering. And and, and what you do is you just pour it out on the altar. It's just poured out completely. Paul makes a reference to this in his last days in 2 Timothy, which says, "My, my life is now being poured out. It's the end. It's ending. And Jesus says, it's poured out as a sacrifice. Why? To forgive the sins of many. Always the blood is that. And you know that, and most of you have, have taken communion before. And then, in almost in, in a couple of the other gospels, the important phrase at the end says this Do this in remembrance of me. And so, tonight, we're going to take communion, and we're going to take it together. And we're going to remember the sacrifice. And we're going to remember how horrific it was. And we're going to remember his, his body just bruised and beaten and whipped. And then we're going to drink the cup because the cup is a new covenant. And so what we do initially is we, we remember what happened to his body, but then we remember what that did for us. We remember that the curtain was torn. We remember that we're no longer separated from a holy God, that through faith in Christ, we're united with our creator. And so if you have your, your cups here, you can peel back that top cellophane. And there's a piece of bread. And this is a remembrance for us. There's nothing magic about it, but it's a remembrance. And what we remember tonight, in particular, on Good Friday, we remembered how horrifically he suffered. Let's take the bread and let's eat it in remembrance. So Jesus, tonight we remember you. And as we eat the bread in particular, we remember your sacrifice. We remember how you suffered. We remember that your worst day brought us the best life. We remember, Jesus, how you suffered. We remember that. Thank you. And then if you peel back the top, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And tonight, in particular, we remember it's his bloodshed. We remember that all through the history of the nation of Israel, the sprinkling of blood always meant the forgiveness of sins. We remember that Jesus' blood was shed, that it had to be shed for our forgiveness. And so tonight we drink the cup in remembrance of Christ. So Jesus, tonight we say thank you. We say thank you for what you did. Jesus, we thank you for what that did for us. We can't say thank you enough, but we say thank you. Jesus, we thank you that through your death, burial, resurrection, we now have new life. That we're in fellowship with the Father. And we say thank you. And and tonight we stop to remember all that. We remember that your worst day was our best day. Jesus, your worst day was our best day, better than we could ever imagine. And so we say thank you for that. Thank you, Lord God, that you sent your Son. Thank you for a Savior. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do on our own. God, we're grateful. We're grateful, Father. We love you, Father God. We say thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.